Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Okay, a man spotted a lamp by the roadside, and he picked it up and rubbed off the dirt vigorously, and a genie appeared. But not you. It was a different genie. Okay. <laughs> said, I'll grant you your fondest wish. And the man thought for a moment and said, I want a spectacular job, a job that no man has ever succeeded at or has ever attempted to do. <laughs> Poof, said the genie, you're a housewife. All right. Hey, here's one I like. All right. A little boy was attending his first wedding, and afterwards he's talking with his cousin. And uh, he's just, you know, wanting to know everything about the, the wedding ceremony. And he says, now look, he says, how many women can a man marry? And his cousin said, well, 16. He said, 16? How do you figure 16? He said, well, do the math. Four better, four worse, right? Four richer, four poorer. 16, all right. Well, I thought that was better than that, you know? Anyhow, all right. Every, listen, every marriage has conflicts. Every marriage. 1 Corinthians 7 says those who marry will have trouble. So like, it's like, like just this last week. <laughs> You don't have an old story, like years ago? <laughs> we did it this week. I did it. We have been just really busy. It's been a busy month and coming and going and two trips to Dallas. And we came home this last week from uh, Dallas and um, from, well, anyway, from Dwayne's perspective, he's been really helpful. So, you know, he gets the luggage out of the back of the car with the little rollers that, like they have now and rolled them across the dirty garage floor and in the house it was to clean the bedroom, it had been swept to the bedroom and then um set his suitcase up on the bed on top of the ivory colored quilt that my mom had hand stitched you know and just and just anyway laid it up there and I did not know this <laughs> it's like and so um I just got in the flesh. I'm I was unpacking he was he was really trying to be helpful and do it all and and I just saw, um, took it when he got done packing, doing, you know, being real helpful and unpacking the things. And I took the suitcase off and there was like dirty mark on the bedspread. And so I just chewed him out. And that's saying it nicely. <laughs> and I, and I, and I, I'm, I appreciated him doing it. I just wanted him to... Uh, think about putting it on the, you know, what he said on the bedspread another time. And so I just was trying to straighten him out and correct him and tell him not to do that. And um, uh, anyway, and he looked at me and then I knew I really blew it when, you know, that puppy dog look, <laughs> when they look at you and like shocked that they'd done something wrong. Cause he, and he's like, well, I was trying to help you and you know, get it, my stuff put away so it was less for you to do tomorrow. And, um, and then he got in the flesh. I mean, I, I got in the flesh. And then he decided to just, um, well, if you don't like it, I'll never help you again. <laughs> and, and so we just kind of blew it. And we had this, um, what they call conflict. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's my fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm it's okay. sorry. I'm sorry. The thing was, we were both right and Can we were both up? wrong. You may get up. <laughs> You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Okay, he's forgiven. He's forgiven, but it makes a good illustration because there's just conflict that happens in every marriage. And, and actually, 
It took me till 1.30 or so in the morning before I forgave him. Because, because I was right, but he was right, but I was right. And then, and, and I just laid there so like, well, how can I show him how to help me if he, you know, and I just was chewing on things I shouldn't have chewed on until in the morning. And then the funniest thing was by the next afternoon, we're driving somewhere and I thought, I think we just, I think we just had a fight about something, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> and, and he looked at me and says, well, don't try to remember it because I don't remember either. And then while we're preaching last night, it's like, oh, I remember it was the white. <laughs> okay. Like, but, so all marriages have conflict, but what, what the, what determines the quality of the marriage is how you resolve those conflicts, right? There is nobody here that's married that doesn't have conflict. And you're, you're, you're dating and you're in love and you are sure you are never going to have conflict. You are deceived because you are going to have conflict, right? Now, Malachi 2 in verse 11, talking about marriage, this is what it says. It says, the Lord's holy institution which he loves. Marriage is the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. Get this, in Genesis 2, he creates the world. The first thing that he does then is he institutes marriage. And you may not think of it like this, but this is true. The natural state for adults is marriage. When God created Adam and Eve, you know how he created them? Married. He created them married. Now, that doesn't mean if you're not married that, that you're abnormal, but it probably does mean this, that in your heart there is a desire to be married and you're probably moving towards marriage. But really what marriage does is it replicates God's nature and his image in the earth. Remember, God in the beginning said, let us, plural, make man in our image and after our likeness. Secondly, it extends God's authority in the earth. The first thing that God said when he created Adam and Eve, he said, let them have dominion. See, you were not created to be a doormat. You were created to have dominion. And he mentions here over the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, over all the earth, and ladies, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So ladies, you have authority over all creeps. Right? But the first thing that God did said about man and woman was they were to have dominion. Right? And, and literally, when we believe that and we believe that we have a big God, you need little government. And when you believe you have a little God and little authority, you need big government. Right? Then the third thing that marriage really does is it is to generationally perpetuate the nature of God and his kingdom. You just look at Deuteronomy 6, and he's talking to parents. And he says, this is what you're supposed to do. He says, you're supposed to teach my word to your children diligently. She'll talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You'll bind them as a sign on your hand. They'll be as frontlets before your eyes. And then fourthly, it is to multiply the kingdom by godly seed. In Malachi 2, in verse 15, but did he not make them one? So when, when two people get married, what does God do? He makes them one. Somebody said a while back, well, aren't you all just concerned about the Supreme Court? You know, they said that marriage can be between two women or two men. Listen, nobody is married unless God makes them one. Nobody's married unless God, a piece of paper doesn't make, God makes you one, 
all right? And God makes a man and a woman one, right? Not two men and not two women. Now, we, we, we love people that, that uh, are, who said, confused concerning their, their sexual identity, all right? We love them, we welcome them, but if they get a piece of paper, God doesn't say, well, you, okay, the government said that, so now I'm gonna make you one. God does not make them one, all right? He did not, did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit, and why one? Why does God in marriage make two one? Because he seeks godly offspring or godly seed. All right, so we've been talking about relationships, particularly the laws of marriage, right? There's four laws in Genesis chapter two. Immediately, when we find marriage, right away in the beginning, we find the four laws of marriage. The law of priority, which simply says that when you get married, your number one priority in life under God is your spouse, not your children, your job, friends, career, or anything else. Then the law of pursuit, that you with energy and vigor pursue your spouse for the entire relationship. Right? Thirdly, the law of possession, which says that everything inside the, the marriage is co-owned and co-administered. Money, friends, time, vacations, bodies, everything co-owned and co-administered. And then lastly for today, the law of purity. And I don't know if you notice this, they're all P's. Priority, pursuit, possession, and purity. Right? Now, when we're talking about the law of purity, we're talking about intimacy, openness, and communication. Honest communication inside of the marriage. Now, Genesis 2.25 says they were both naked, the man and his woman, and they were not ashamed. Inside the marriage, we should be totally exposed to one another, right? Every area of our life, nothing held back. Fears, insecurities, dreams, your deepest feelings, your body, nothing is held back inside of the marriage. But once sin entered, things changed and they began to cover up. In fact, the first thing that they did was made themselves clothes out of fig leaves. Right? They covered their, their most sensitive areas. They covered the parts of their body where they were different. Right? And when we walk in purity, right, we don't withdraw, we don't withhold, we don't cover up. But when sin comes into the relationship, we withdraw, we cover up, we're not open to communication, we're not vulnerable, we don't expose being, being uh, risk being exposed, we don't share, right? So they're, they're immediately, before they're open, they're fellowshipping with themselves, with God, there's communication, they sin, and the differences no longer can be safely exposed or expressed because sin is present. Right? Whenever sin is present, the quality of the intimacy, the relationship, the, the communication inside the relationship begins to disintegrate. Sin damages and even destroys the atmosphere that is needed for intimacy. Right? It only exists in purity. The sensitive areas of our lives and relationships cannot be safely exposed where sin is present. You know? so, so while dating, right? people, they're, they're, they're couples and they talk, 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 talk. They can't talk enough. You know, they'll talk on the phone for three hours. Right? They, so they sit in the car and they say, they said that we do nothing but talk. Okay. Okay, so they talk, 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 all right? But then they get married, 
All right? And somewhere that law of purity is violated and it damages the relationship. Right? And all of a sudden, they're no longer willing to expose themselves to their mate. Their deepest feelings and dreams, their insecurities, their fears. Right? They're not willing to do that. Now, that's why, this is true, all right, that most murders of married couples happen in the bedroom. Right? And it's not just the sexual part. It's, it's because that's where there should be this total openness. That's where, you know, my, 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 my fears, my insecurities, my dreams, my deepest, deepest thoughts and feelings should be exposed. But when they're not, man, there's, there's all of a sudden there's this tension. So most murders between married couples happen in the bedroom. That's why at night I always sleep with one eye open. No, I'm, I'm just, ki- just kidding, just kidding. Okay, babe, go. You close your eyes. But when we talk about the law of purity, it's not the law of perfection. And um, it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness and every sin and every mistake and, and, um, and hurtful thing that, that we've done and will do. Uh, you, it really, the law of purity um, is... The law really um, demands forgiveness because you are going to make mistakes. And, um, uh, but it's that continual cleansing. It's, it's going to God. And that's why it's so wonderful being in a marriage relationship with God um, at the head and instructing us and, and correcting us and teaching us because open and honest and hiding nothing doesn't mean that you're always working with garbage. Um, it means you can leave it under the blood and leave it past. Um, I know, you know, some couples have been encouraged to be open and honest, and in trying to do that, um, they've, they just dig up every sin, every mistake ever, and they, they take it all out. I don't want whatever stinky, filthy dirt might have been in his life when he was in the pig pen um, that got all that stink that, the, that when he came to Jesus, that Jesus washed away. I don't want him to dump it on me. He's a new man. I married a new creature, a new man, and, and we're building according to what God sees in him and what God has planned for him. And to me, there's no benefit to learn of any past mistakes in his life. Not that he wasn't perfect. I don't know. That's fine. He's probably perfect. But what I'm saying is, you know, think of it's what's beneficial. Um, and so it's not just open and honesty about, oh, man, you know, today, um, you know, I, I thought this bad thought. Or, but it is, it's that being able to, honey, I really struggle in this area, and I, I went there again today. I went shopping, and I was really tempted again. You know, I just, I was going to spend about $3,000, and then I thought, well, maybe <laughs> my husband wouldn't like that. And, you know, so it's okay to, I need, the whole thing with the purity is that being able to be open and honest. And so if he gets in the flesh and, and clobbers me like I did the other day with him. You know, if he gets in the flesh, then it's going to be harder the next time to be open and honest. So part of the thing of purity is being able to have that confidence of he's for me and he loves me and I made a mistake and he's going to have to tell me what I did wrong and how I can do it right and do it better, but I received the correction. So, you know, part of being open and honest is 
also being open to being corrected. Yeah. You know, um, some of you will remember Marilyn Hickey. I remember Marilyn. She's been here several times. You know, she's one of our, our, our mentors. And several years ago, she told us this story. She was shopping in Denver, and there was this fur coat. And she saw it, and she really liked it, and she tried it on, and it, it fit really well. Anyway, she bought it. She took it home, and she put it on, and she came in where Wally was in his chair, and she said, hey, Wally, look at my, my fur coat. Do you like it? And Wally said, how much did it cost? And she says, well, do you like it? And he said, well, tell me how much it costs, and I'll tell you if I like it. <laughs> and uh, so finally she says, well, she said, it costs so much. And, and, and he says, well, why did you buy it? I mean, you should have resisted the devil. You should have said, get behind me, Satan. She said, I did, but he told me it looked good from behind too. <laughs> Has nothing to do with the sermon, but it's a true story. All right. Now, the greatest sensitivities of our lives are to be open inside the marriage relationship, all right? Your spouse will know things about you that nobody else knows. Your deepest, deepest thoughts, your desires, your heart of hearts is to be open inside the marriage relationship, all right? But whenever sin comes in, that intimacy breaks down and it damages the relationship. And of course, the people that are the closest to you can do the most damage. They can hurt you the most, right? That's why the Bible says this in Proverbs 31, 12. It says she does him good and not evil all the days of her life, all right? And he is to do her good and not evil all the days of your life. The things that, that your spouse communicates to you that they don't communicate to anybody else, they're for you and they're not for anybody else. God designed marriage in the garden where they would walk together. They could share their thoughts, their plans, their hearts of heart, their body, everything, without a thought of shame, rejection, or ridicule. But when sin came in, Adam both, they both immediately covered themselves. right? And we see that they covered themselves physically, but it was much more than physical. And then Adam is blaming Eve. He said, God, it's that woman that you gave me. You know, He blames her, all right? Now, what the devil really did is he destroyed the intimacy that they had with God and he destroyed the intimacy that they had with each other. And the devil is still trying to do the exact same thing. Destroy the intimacy that we have in marriage so that we won't open ourselves up. There won't be the intimacy that needs to be there. What do you think about this? Eve was absolutely perfect, right? Handcrafted by God. No nip and tuck. I mean, she is perfect, right? And what does she do immediately when sin comes in? She covers herself all up, afraid to expose herself to her husband, right? And it was true physically, but it was true so much more. It was true emotionally, right? That's what, that's what sin does. It destroys our ability to open up and to have true intimacy and communication inside of the marriage. Uh, when when uh, sin comes in, there's a different reaction, and it, and it builds the wall. But here's what happens. Um, either your heart gets hard. I mean, you have to... You react to sin and mistakes. You, you react, and either you harden your heart, your conscience, your Holy, the Holy Spirit in you says, um, 
that was the wrong way to go. You need to make a correction in your direction. And you're like, well, I think I like the way I chose, and I think it was better. We make excuses, and pretty soon our heart gets hard. Or another thing that can happen is condemnation. The devil starts condemning us. And uh, condemnation is horrible because it binds you to the expectation of failing again, of continued failure, of continuing to sin. And then it's easier to, to make a mistake again. It's, oh, it's because I'm just so rotten. I'm such a bad person. And, and yeah, and I just have to lose my temper again. And I'm, you know, and the condemnation just will never free us uh, from the sin. Uh, unforgiveness, it, in the same way, unforgiveness will bind you to the expectation of hurt. And Again, there, you know, and it keeps you in the hurt. But here's what the difference is. When you sin and the Holy Spirit convicts you, the Holy Spirit doesn't condemn you, but the Holy Spirit convicts you uh, for the impurities in your life. And that will always bring the hope of mercy and of freedom and new life and change and help. And conviction always leads us to confession, which leads us to cleansing, which restores confidence, confidence before the Father with our relationship with God, and the same with each other. And so, you know, there's been times when Dwayne has, I've been wrong and Dwayne has corrected me, but it's been in love, just like the Holy Spirit, it's been conviction. And, you know, if I react right and I receive it, and then, you know, I can confess and repent and and be cleansed, and, and, um, and, and the confidence is there of, of the love between us and that I have hope and I can grow. Proverbs 28 and 13 says, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. You know, unrepentant impurity destroys the atmosphere of openness inside of the marriage. Openness comes in an atmosphere of purity, right? Not where there's selfishness, where there's dominance, where there's neglect, abuse, immorality, unforgiveness, hardness of heart, or demeaning the other person. And this really is a openness killer, demeaning the other person. And it happens in different ways. Um, and it, 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 can, it can be different, but typically, um, a woman demeans her, her, her husband, uh, talking about perhaps his job, or his income, you're just no good at this, you're a terrible father, you're a terrible husband, you're a terrible provider, you know. Um, the man more... Begging or comparing him yeah. to her father. The man more often, um, in our experience, demeans his wife by, by just saying, you're just, you're just not enough, you know. You got too much there and not enough here. And uh, anytime that there's that demeaning, it, it always destroys, destroys intimacy. The guy who says to his wife, you're not enough, you know, it destroys intimacy. The wife who says to her husband, you know, you're not a good provider, you're not a good husband, you're not a good father, you know, it destroys intimacy, right? And by the way, you know, guys, the only thing that ever ought to come out of your mouth is this, honey, you are too much woman for me, all right? You are just too much for me. You are awesome, baby, all right? Uh, so, and then you women, you can just mm -hmm. tell your husband every day, well, you, I need you. You're my, my honey. You're my hero. I, the, the thing about the, um, being able to recognize that you need each other is so important. 
And part of the, the joy of the, the purity and, and how it draws you to each other and to be able to recognize, I need you, not because I'm perfect or you're perfect, because um, together we're better. Yeah. Jesus addressed this with the church at Ephesus. You know, we have people say, I just don't love them anymore. And Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, he says, you've left your first love. But he says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Remember how it used to be. Right? He's going to say, it can be that good. And I got news for you. It can be better, no matter how bad it is. We have friends. Th- th- this particular friend of ours, a dear friend, is uh, now with the Lord. But early, th- th- they had a great marriage. All right? But early in their marriage, their marriage wasn't great. In fact, one time he tried to run her over with the car in the driveway. All right? but, but their marriage, I would say that it was a 10 on a 10-point scale. Right? No matter where it is. Later. 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 Yeah, not, not then. Trust me, not then. That was not a 10 on a 10-point scale. All right? But Jesus said, remember from where you've fallen, repent. That means have a change of mind and start to go in a different direction and do the first works. You know, you do what you did in the beginning. But let, me, let us just talk to you, give you seven things that you can do, areas where you can look at the intimacy in your marriage the communication, the purity in your marriage, and, and these are areas where you can pr- improve. First of all, number one, take responsibility for your behavior. Right? Don't focus on your spouse's behavior. Focus on your behavior. You know, Jesus said, don't look at the plank in your brother's eye, or excuse me, at the speck in your brother's eye when you're not noticing the plank that is in your own eye. He's saying, start with yourself. Start with you. And remember this. You can change yourself. You cannot change your spouse. Ecclesiastes 8.8 8 says, no one has power over the spirit to restrain the spirit. And what that means is this. You cannot make somebody else do something. Right? I've had people say, well, I'm just confessing that they're going to do this and this and this. No, you can't make them do that. That's witchcraft. Right? That is witchcraft. Right? God doesn't even make people do something. First of all, he'd make everybody tithe. <laughs> that hasn't worked. All right. But how many know that God, if he was going to make people do something, he'd make everybody get saved. We'd go into the millennium tomorrow morning. But God doesn't make people do something. All right. And you cannot make somebody do something. All right. So focus on yourself you can, and not on your spouse. What you Change can yourself. do is, is you can affect the environment around that person by your choices that you make. And you can make it very, very... Um, easy for him to, uh, yeah, change. You can make an environment of change, of encouragement, of I believe in you and hope in you. And this is, and, yeah. and you can pray. And uh, you, you don't, just because you can't change a person doesn't mean you, there's nothing you can do. And as a spouse, especially, you have, a, um, you have the ability to help direct heaven to target your spouse, to target each other by believing, God, I believe that your will for him, I believe that it will come to pass. I mean, Jesus told us to pray that um, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know it's not always done in everybody's life, but Jesus told us to pray that way. So that's the way we should believe for each other and and hope for each other and believe the the best and so that you're able to surround them with with the environment they will make the choice it will either melt them god's love and god's patience and god and the the belief that you have in them, the the way you speak to them will melt them or they can choose to harden their heart mm-hmm. and then they'll probably run yeah. number 2 is do not return evil for evil 
When somebody does something wrong, your, your, your natural tendency is they did evil to me, I'll do evil to them. Now listen, this is what James says. It says, man's wrath does not bring God's righteous purpose. So if you get in the flesh, this is what you're guaranteeing, you won't have the will of God in that situation. When you try to return evil for evil, all you do is create a vicious cycle. The Bible says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Good is greater than evil. Love is stronger and more powerful than hate. Right? Love endures forever. Right? So don't return evil for evil. Don't get in the flesh. Because if you get in the flesh, you're guaranteed you cannot have God's will in that situation. But the way that you overcome evil is you overcome evil with good. Then thirdly, admit your faults. Right? I was wrong. I'm sorry. It was my fault. Will you please forgive me? Look, when you tell them that you were wrong, that's not when they found out. They knew a long time before. All right? It can go a long way to healing a marriage. Just being willing to admit that you were wrong. All right? Just admit it. You're saying, well, I think I'm right. No, just, just, just admit it. All right? You admit you're wrong and you will be happy. All right? You confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The Bible tells us to confess our sins to one another. All right, then forgive and learn to forgive quickly and learn to forgive always. All right? Jesus in Mark 11 says, every time you pray, if you have anything against anyone, forgive. Every time you pray. So every day he says, forgive, forgive. And somebody says, well, if I forgive him, do I need to do it tomorrow? If you still have ill feelings, do it again tomorrow. You know, Dr. Cho uh, pastors the largest church in the world in Seoul, Korea, about a million members. Right? This is what I heard him say this several years ago. We were in Seattle at a conference. He says, I must pray for our every day. Jesus said, forgive people who offend you. Forgive people you hate. I hate many people, so I must pray and forgive many people every day. <laughs> All right? So, what do you do? Forgive quickly. Forgive always. All right? And that unforgiveness, it really, it sets you free. Because when you don't, don't no, forgive. Unforgiveness doesn't set you free. Well, forgiveness sets you free. Yeah. When you for, no, okay. Thank you, honey. Okay. Forgiveness sets you free. It's like you've got dark colored glasses on and you see everything through those lenses. You know, Jesus' disciples came, how often shall I forgive? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. And he didn't figure they'd have a calculator. And it was in one day. Jesus is just saying, just have a forgiving heart. Keep on forgiving. Keep on forgiving. All right? Then speak the truth in love. All right? Come in humility Say, this is, this is how I see this. This is why I see it that way. And, and speak the truth in love. Some, of, some Christians, it seems like they have a Charles Bronson death wish ministry. All right? They're just wanting to get out there, clobber everybody and, and you know, get revenge. No, just speak the truth in love. That we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. Pray for each other. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James 5, 16. And then lastly, this is really important. 
Watch your associations. Be careful about who you associate with. Right? Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good morals. Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise. The companion of fools will be destroyed. One paraphrase says it this way. A companion of fools, life will begin to unravel. And if your life is unraveling, 90% of the time, if you will look at your friends, their life is unraveling in the same place. Because you've been hanging out with them and you're starting to think like them and act like them and do the things that they're doing. It's causing their life to unravel and it's called, it will cause your life to unravel. Right? Jimmy Evans says this. He says, divorce is a communicable disease. And this is what he means. When somebody gets divorced, most of the time in that marriage, one or the other has got somebody who's telling them, you shouldn't put up with that. You know, you're better than that. You need to get rid of them. You need to, you need to do this. I, you know, you've got somebody who's egging them on towards that divorce, right? So be careful with your associations. If you walk with wise men, you'll be wise. But if you're a companion of fools, your life will begin to unravel. All right, would you please bow your heads? And Jeannie, would you just pray just a moment for every marriage and every relationship that's represented here? God, I thank you for your word that you have the way for us to go to have successful relationships and marriages. And Father, we pray for all of those that hear this word, that they'll hear from you and whatever corrections in their own life need to happen, that you'll direct them. And we thank you for making our marriages and our relationships wonderful. In Jesus' name. For more information about Res Life, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about Res Life or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616-534-4923.